Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died and great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Thank you for reading uh, the sermon scripture. Again, that was Acts 4, verse 36 through chapter 5, verses 11 in the New International Version. Um, and we continue in our Acts series. I'm so excited. Um, we've been in Acts for, I think, uh, two months or so. And uh, this week's sermon is entitled, Lion to God. Lion to God. Uh, in this series of the book of Acts, the Spirit-infused multi-ethnic church, and this is a loving scripture series. Previously on Acts, Peter and John have returned from the Sanhedrin after being questioned, and they go to their own people. And when the people hear of, uh, what Peter and John went through, and they hear that they are now being persecuted by the temple, they cry out in prayer in response to this persecution. And as they're praying, um, they're filled with the Spirit in kind of a mini Pentecost and begin to speak the gospel boldly, just as Peter had spoken the gospel boldly um, earlier in the chapter to the Sanhedrin as he is filled with the Spirit. They begin to preach and witness and testify boldly uh, to the Word of God because of the Spirit. And here we see a principle of the spirit-infused multi-ethnic churches that speaking the word of God with boldness is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Speaking the word of God with boldness is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see this in these early chapters in Acts. And then this koinonia or this community, the word in Greek koinonia, was of one heart and mind. They shared their possessions with one another and occasionally, it says, some sold land 
or homes to help those in need. And these, after selling these homes and lands, these monies were put at the apostles' feet and distributed to those at, um, in need so that there was no one, the scripture says, that had need. The end of chapter 4 is a summary statement that's similar to the su- summary su- statement we saw uh, beginning in Acts 2.42 at the end of chapter 2 in Acts. Um, but it adds a couple of details, um, different than the chapter 2 summary. Um, in that chapter 4 adds one, um, the idea that there were no needy persons among them. There were no needy persons among them. And then two, after having sold everything, sold lands um, and homes, they laid things at the apostles' feet. You may be asking the question, did this really happen? Like, and if this really happened, does that mean churches nowadays have to live like this, where we sell all our possessions and we lay it at leaders' feet and trust our leaders? We mortgage, we sell our homes, we sell our property so that we live in this kind of uh, ideal uh, communal um, togetherness and live off of one pot, one bank account. Did this really happen? And if it really happened, is this kind of the model by which we must live as a Christian community today? And so there are two approaches to interpreting um, this Acts community. And the first is to say that this is an, a mere ideal community, that it didn't really happen. It's an idyllic counterpart um, to Greek and Hellenist philosophers. Um, those philosophers presented examples in their writings of the ideal community not how things actually were but what things how things should be especially the pythagoreans um, would talk about um, these ideal communities where um, friendship reign and people shared with one another and loved one another and there was peace and there was justice Um, and so um, the approach is saying that um, this Acts community, or Luke, as he's writing, is offering a, a Christian counterpart um, to these philosophies for this presentation of what an ideal community would look like. But it didn't actually, it didn't really happen. The second approach is to assert, uh, is the interpretation is to assert that while this may have been Uh, the good intentions of the early Christian community that we're reading about here, this communistic sharing is what actually brought upon um, the poverty in Jerusalem of the Christian church, which is alluded to in historical writings about the early church and uh, and alluded to in other parts of the New Testament. Um, So in other words, it happened for a brief moment. They were well-intentioned and, you know, people sold stuff, and sold their homes and land and laid it at the apostles' feet, but that this actually led to extreme poverty in the church in Jerusalem, so that later you even hear Paul writing about raising money to send to the, back to the Jerusalem church that was li- living in poverty. So those are two, uh, two approaches, but what I wanted to do is offer a second take, and I'm uh, getting a lot of this, um, these ideas from uh, the theologian Justo Gonzalez. Um, but what, what he suggests is that this summary at the end of chapter four uh, 
is not saying that everyone sold everything they had right from the beginning, and then the, the entire community lived off of one giant pool of resources. They had one bank account after everyone uh, took a vow of poverty and just sold everything and gave everything um, to the apostles. But actually, when you read it, the rhythm is that from time to time, the passage says, people sold land and homes as necessity required and laid it at the apostles' feet so that there was nobody in need. So from time to time, as there was need, someone would step up to the plate. People would step up to the plate, rise up and sell um, their homes or sell a piece of land and put those resources at the apostles' feet. And that was distributed to those and people in need. So one, we, we gain from this that not the whole community didn't just share from one pot after selling everything. That there were actually classes of people. There were poor people and there were people that were, had owned land and property. And so there were still different classes, um, but from time to time, people out of generosity, out of love, out of grace, would make the sacrifice and that would be distributed to people in need so that there was no one who had need. So this is not a political or philosophical construct. This is not about defending communism or saying this or that. Um, but it is what, this is what happens when the spirit and the grace of God infuses the community of faith. People are taking their own initiative out of love to give um, and they're, to give what they have, and they're entrusting the distribu distribution to the disciples. This is the spirit of koinonia. This is the spirit of the early church community. This is what community looks like when it's blessed by the Holy Spirit and when the grace of God is upon the Spirit, that people, out of their own volition, out of their own initiative, give. Not some forced system, not some, you know, legalistic act of sharing everything in common all at once, everything. And so we can look back to passages in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. For instance, Deuteronomy 15, verses 4 through 11, God encourages Israel um, to obey this law, obey his law in such a way um, that there is no need among them. And so that's this idea uh, or this phrase of there be no need among you. We see this even in the Old Testament. And, and what that if there is uh, people that are in need, um, others would share, others would provide for this needy person. And so here in Acts, no one is being forced to sell everything they have. That's what we miss. When we, when we say, oh no, they sold everything they had. No one could live like that. We can't live like that uh, here. So it must be just an ideal picture on one side. On the other side, it's, oh, you know, it can happen, but it's not really realistic. We just need to take the principle out of it and learn to be generous. 
Learn to be generous. But I think what we really see here is a spirit that's empowered, a community that's empowered by the spirit. The spirit is empowering, inspiring people to live out a fulfillment of Deuteronomy where there is no needy people. No needy people. These people are laying, selling possessions and giving, and they're laying it at the uh, apostles' feet. And this is a huge example of trust, right? There's a trust here. So now, as in the other summaries in the uh, book of Acts, after the summaries, we're given examples, concrete examples of the community um, actually living out what's spoken, the values and the uh, deeds that are spoken um, in the summaries. And so we get two examples in our passage and, uh, from 436 through chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, one good example and one bad example. And the good example is um, Joseph of Barnabas. There was need. He, he had land, and it says that he sold a field he owned and brought the money to put it at the apostles' feet. We also get the detail that uh, Joseph was a Levite from Cyprus and that uh, his other name, the apostles, called him Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. Actually, a side note, there's nothing in the Aramaic or Greek or in, in the language uh, that says Barnabas means son of encouragement. So it's like, why does Paul or why does Luke add this detail? Um, maybe it, it's a way of um, introducing Barnabas, a, a character we'll see um, in other parts of um, Acts, who is, was an encourager. Um, but so Joseph sells uh, a field that he owned and put it at the apostles' feet, right? It doesn't, it doesn't sound like he, his, uh, he was forced into it. It doesn't sound like people asked him for it. It just sounds like he did it. Um, and he did it out of his own, you know, something was stirring in his heart. Maybe it was like, I have this piece of land and I don't really need it, but there's people in need that are in more need than me. There's people in need in the community. How can I have this land when other people are suffering, right? How can I have this uh, when other people are suffering? And so he sells it and gives it to the apostles' feet. So good example. It's living out. Oh, there we see it right there. Point, you know, example number one of them living out um, the community um, summary. But then beginning in chapter 5, we get the episode of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were a couple. They are married. Um, and it says they also, like Joseph, like this Barnabas guy, sold a piece of property. And it says with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And the first thing we need to pull out from this is Peter's like, Ananias, you own this. This was yours. No one told you to, that you had to sell it. Wasn't the money also at your disposal? You could have sold it and used the money. It's yours. 
which also adds to the argument like every people didn't have to sell everything all at once and put it in one giant pool right it was done from time to time as people were inspired by the holy spirit to do so by grace by love by natural compulsion not by being forced to do it right and this is peter's point no one made you do this so why did you have to lie about it right by selling your land and laying this money at the people at, at our feet but doing it under the guise of this was the full amount that we sold and look we're giving it for the needy and yet you you put like 10% on the side for yourself why didn't you just come to us and say hey we sold the land we're going to keep 10% of it but here take the 90% for those in need. We need the 10% to live on. I think that would have been fine. Peter's like, that would have been fine. It was at your disposal. Didn't belong to you? Why would you do this? You have lied not to men, but to God. And we'll get back to that. What does it mean to lie to God? And why is that such a serious thing? Like, what's the big deal? They did an awesome thing. Most of us today would be like, man, they sold their land and gave money, gave most of it to the apostles. What's the deal? Did they have to drop dead for that? Like, today people would be applauded. We'd be like, oh my gosh, they're so generous. They're so faithful. Right? I mean, in our churches, we talk about tithing 10%, right? Nowadays, giving 10% to the church is like, oh my gosh, that's a huge deal. You gave 10%, right? That's how much uh, King County and the state of Washington put together. They tax you 10%, right? That's a retail tax. You gave that much to the church? Oh my gosh, what a sacrifice. You're not cutting off your arm. You can't live off of that. We'd be like, you know, wow, Ananias and Sapphira, you are the people. But it's not what they did. It's not the amount that they gave. It's not that they made that sacrifice to give it. Because in verse 5, after Peter spoke, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Harsh. So harsh. And great fear seized all who heard and what had happened. Right? Isn't this harsh? Isn't God a forgiving, loving God? Right? And here we see this, this God who's just taking, he just zaps Ananias. Ananias drops dead. Of course, I'd be freaking out. I'd be like, man, do I want to be in this community where people drop dead just because what? They did a... They were doing a good thing. Like, what's the issue here? God, is God that harsh? Right? I don't want to follow him then. I don't want to be a part of this community then. This isn't grace. This is law. And it makes me think, if you remember in the Old Testament, in the life of David, 
when David and the priests of the Lord are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, right? And the Ark, the, the, the ark goes over, whatever, the carriage, that, uh, the wagon that's carrying the Ark goes over some bumpy places and it starts to stir, you know, it starts to topple and a priest reaches out his hand to steady the Ark. What happens? That priest is zapped, dies. And David just checks out. He's upset, right? He's like, why did this priest have to get zapped just because he made a motion, right? Isn't that a little harsh, God? And so he checks out for a while and he's upset about it. Like who, why would anyone worship God if it's worshiping God is this hard, right? If even the littlest details makes it so that I'm disqualified or it cost me my life. How, is there any freedom in that? That's what David's feeling. And in the passage right after that, after David resolves this in his heart, they're entering the city, and what happens? He's, it says he's dancing. He's dancing around the ark as they're entering the city, and he, he like strips down to his tidy whities right? And he's dancing around, and, and it says one of his wives sees him, and she looks at him with disdain, like, look at him, so wild and free, right? The, you see David worshiping God freely in a, a, a totally opposite kind of image, right? Where on the one side, oh, you have to have so much respect and reverence for God that if you do the wrong thing, you die, versus just free to dance and worship God. And, and you have the song, I will dance like David danced. Right? What is that, that tension between reverence? Right? The ground that I'm on is now sacred ground, right? Moses approaching um, the, holy, the holiness of the burning bush and the presence of God and taking off his shoes. Because the ground that he is on is holy ground. Right? Moses, the tension of that revering and being free. Right? The freedom found in the spirit. And I think we all understand that tension. But I think we need to understand how important the Holy Spirit is in this early community. And how important living in the spirit of koinonia is. God, and the, through the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, is begin to gather to himself this community of faith. This radical community that stands in protest, stands in opposition to the empire, stands in opposition to the powers of the world. Um, that holds on to power um, in order to lord it over other people and in order to oppress other people. But this community in Acts, this community of faith, the spirit-filled community is a community that's coming underneath and catching all of those that are being forgotten, those that are being missed, those that are poor, those that are marginalized, those that haven't had equal access to faith, to the worship of God. And God is beginning to 
uh, nurture and feed this bulb. If you take the image of a flower bulb underneath, right? Um, the other um, last year, I have some bulbs, some lily bulbs, um, and uh, they grew up. And what I, the mistake that I made was um, when the flowers wilted, I chopped the green leaves of the bulbs uh, because I didn't want it to be messy, whatever. I thought I was pruning or something. But the problem is when you do that, what happened this year is that those lilies came up, but no flowers came out. And that's because I cut short uh, the time that those green leaves had to absorb sunshine, to absorb nutrients, to begin to feed that bulb. And so no flowers came up. And so I'm hoping that flowers will come out next spring because I allowed the green leaves to stay until they wilted and turned brown. Basically, I never cut them. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit is infusing in this burgeoning community, the seed of a community, and it's growing internal energy. It's gaining nutrients through the Holy Spirit uh, to be a counter community, to be a reflection of the kingdom of God, to be God's people, God's church. That's counter cultural, counter the world's power and about dependence and leaning on God's power. And why is it so serious for Ananias and Sapphira to sell a piece of property and just hold a little back for themselves? Why is it a big deal? Why did they have to die for it? Because when you take a counter community, a radical community of God, it's almost like special forces. It's almost like the Green Beret, right? Or the Navy SEALs. These are the gathered people of God that are supposed to be different and special and send a, a message, good news into the world and embody that news, a de conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. And what Ananias and Sapphira is, is doing is undermining that community, that growing community. And this is serious business because they're saying in their actions that it's not about the Spirit of God. It's not about God. It's about what we look like, <coughs> what we're doing. It's what we call hypocrisy. And that's why Jesus was on the religious leaders and the Pharisees. All the time when we read in the Gospels, because they were hypocrites. They were leaders of the temple. They were leaders. And we, we know that when we see leaders in the church, when we see leaders who we find out are living in, uh, they have a scandal. They've been living secret lives. They have affairs or uh, mismanagement of uh, funds, of money. And they abuse their power. We say hypocrites. Right? That's why I got disillusioned with the church when I was younger in my 20s. That's why I ran away from the church. That's why young adults, you out there maybe, have run from the church. Because you're sick and tired of people saying they're good and righteous and holy and faithful. And yet they're doing, they're lying underneath. They're cheating. They're hurting people. They're using money. They're abusing people. They're abusing their power, right? They're being spiritually manipulative and you're tired of this, right? And we're tired of that in politics, right? 
All of us are tired of the news cycles that tell other ways that politicians are mishandling money, our money that we pay taxes, right? Or in sexual sex scandals, or this or that, right? Not working for the people, but doing side deals, right? Playing politics in order to get their agenda across. Right? We just want honesty. We just want real people. We want people that love and are authentic and are upfront. And so what Ananias and Sapphira is doing is undermining what the Spirit of God is building. And so when you lie to the Holy Spirit, that's big deal. That leads to death. Right? Because you're saying yes to the empire. but still sitting on the side of God's people, but being fake about it, lying about it. And I want to know, church, from you, will you fake the funk on a nasty dunk? When we see Jesus in the Gospels, when does Jesus get fired up? Jesus gets fired up a lot. With when he's talking with the Pharisees, right? He says to the disciples, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, right? What does that mean? He goes on to say, right? The Pharisees like to say all these prayers out loud in public and wear all of these robes and talk about how they're performing all the laws and being righteous to the scriptures, right? And following the law to the letter. And they're puffed up. They blow themselves up like yeast and bread like puffs up the bread. This is like the Pharisees. And Jesus was hard on the Pharisees. Why? Jesus was really gracious to sinners. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with the worst of the worst. He ate meals with them. Why wasn't he harsh with them? He spoke truth to them. He said they were forgiven, but he showed gentleness and love and compassion. But with the Pharisees, he was very harsh. So harsh that they conspired to kill him. Why? Because the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the leaders of faith for that nation, for Jerusalem, for the people. And you may be asking, but still, they lied. Okay, they lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to Peter. Right? They were being fake in their community and looking for praise for something um, that they weren't fully prepared to do, right? It would have been better if they hadn't given at all than to give and hold money back. Fine, bad, sin, not good, just breaking trust. Did they have to drop dead, right? And the result of that is that fear gripped this community of faith. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about this, these events, right? Do I want to be a part of a church where I'm, there's great fear that seizes everyone? A fear of disobeying and disrespecting God and dropping dead? This is a hard teaching, right? Is what kind of fear is this? Isn't fear unhealthy? Is, is this the... Like, is this an unhealthy community? And I want to suggest that this fear 
This fear of the Lord is a healthy fear, right? Like our choices matter, right? On the one side, that's what we glean from this. That's what we should our takeaway from this is that our choices matter, right? And Jesus said we can't serve God and mammon, right? You can't serve two masters because you'll diss the one in order to love the other. In the same way, you can't serve two emperors, right? Two kingdoms. And here we see a war, right? As the church is beginning to be persecuted and the persecution is going to intensify, it's a war, a spiritual battle, right? A war in the cosmos. And this church, the early church is going to have, people are going to have to make real decisions of allegiance and where the loyalty lies, right? Am I going to be about the kingdom of God or am I going to be about the Roman Empire, the empire of the world? You can't serve Jesus as king and serve Caesar at the same time. Our story today talks about the seriousness of presenting ourselves as something that we're not. Because what that means is that you're not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit for what you do, for how you behave, for how you act. But you're depending on yourself. And when you depend on yourself, that's not going to last too long. You're going to run out of gas. You're going to fall short. You're trying to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You're trying to save yourself, essentially. The only way that we're saved is by the name and the power of Jesus Christ. It's only by one name by which we're saved. And so what we see with Ananias and Sapphira in this episode is a, a clear kind of story, a clear vision of what that death looks like that you would conspire in your heart. That's, that's listening to Satan, right? That's saying that you don't need God. You can just do it, right? You can just look like you're doing the right thing in front of people, but you don't, you don't need God. And that's undermining the community of faith and that serious business that leads to death. And um, I, I believe that we are in a special time in history, that God is shaking up the church, that God is doing a renewal in the church, that God is doing something new. And he doesn't need corrupt people. He doesn't need people who are hypocrites. He doesn't need people just faking like they're good, um, but not. He needs people that are consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit and that are real authentic participants in the community of faith and participating in what God is doing to renew the church. That we are a people who aren't about cheating the poor, cheating the marginalized, cheating the system. But we are people that are about turning the system upside down and presenting to all who are hungry, all who are thirsty, all sons and daughters and children of God, that indeed God hears, God listens, 
and that there will be no needy people because the people of faith will step up out of love, out of spirit-led compulsion, out of grace and mercy because of the power of God, because of the power of spirit to give and share. We will change the world because of our generosity and how we share with one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are um, our power, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, we can step up and give um, generously. We can give sacrificially, not out of our own strength or not to look good in front of people, um, but because of your goodness and love compelling us. May your spirit speak to us now. Tell us uh, where we should be sharing, where we should be giving, where we should be helping, where we should be speaking out and speaking up for the sake of your gospel. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.